Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Please turn to number 304, and we will start our worship with True It All.
Amen. Now we will have our call to worship this morning. Good morning. Good morning. The call to worship this morning is Psalm 16, verses 7 through 11. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand There are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Yes, amen. Those are the the promises of God that we have in Jesus Christ, the only one whose body did not get corrupted in the grave. Um, But we can't have the resurrection without the cross. So let us sing for our next song, number 257, Near the Cross.
Amen. God's ways are certainly not our ways. Let us pray. Lord God, we are so glad to be gathered here together this morning to worship you in person, the body of Christ coming before you. We open ourselves up to you. We pray that you would protect us from any distractions that might be within and anything from without that may be coming after us, as we shall hear in the scripture today. And I think of that song, Fightings and Fears Within, Without. Lord, may we find peace and rest and our purpose in you as a result of being gathered together in your presence having communion with you in one another. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I have just one announcement before we do our prayer of confession, our corporate prayer. It's been brought to my attention, and all of us here, we have this in our bulletins. This is the um, International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians as sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I would urge any of you that don't know much about this organization and have computer access, go and find out about them. Uh, they, they are an amazing organization, and, and as will be made revealed later, um, we are too sheltered in this country. And I think I, I love, I looked up Hebrews 13.3, which is on the back of the prayer bookmark. I just urge you to read it. I won't do anything more about that. And now let us all take our bulletin insert and let us pray together our prayer of confession using the inspired words of David. Have mercy upon me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Amen. That's all pretty powerful. And we have this assurance from the Apostle John, which came about a thousand years later, a millennium after this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. It is true. Uh, Let us continue our worship with this uh, great song. I, I just absolutely love it. Number 479, God Leads Us Along. 479. Scripture this morning is from 1 Kings 19, 1-18, and John 12. 
And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go. Return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael 
to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall be anointed to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maloah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it came to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slave, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. This is John 12, 27 and 28. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And now uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious, loving, and compassionate God, we thank you that we can be together in your presence, and we ask that when we partake in the sacrament, that we will all be joined in experiencing the presence of your Son, the Savior, in the elements of our communion with you and with each other in you, brothers and sisters of your son, and therefore your children, reconciled to you in him through the work that he does for us. And we beg you, we implore you, that our close communion with you will motivate us to extend what we have in you to our neighbors who have forsaken you or at least they're ignoring you uh, and just going their own way. And many have been blinded by the enemy into thinking that they are just fine the way they are and they don't realize that what they call good is evil. And those that they are calling evil for wanting to see them set free from what they think is right, um, and they think it is okay to be their own people themselves. They think that this is the truth. But these people, including those of us that know you, we're just trying to show them what is good, namely you. We pray for oppressed people everywhere, especially in Ukraine and Russia, being oppressed by President Putin and, and those he commands. We pray for those in North Korea, oppressed by an evil dictator, and those in China, where there is a core of selfish and corrupt people who just crave power, 
crave power. So um, please, please, please just be with people who uh, are needy uh, all around the globe. And on this day of prayer called by the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, we ask that you would comfort the families of over 450 Christians that were executed in just one country in Africa last year for their faith. I think it was Nigeria. And this is happening all around the globe, especially in the global south and the far east, not to mention in Europe and other places. Our gospel passage this morning hints at the suffering that we are called to experience with Jesus so that all may be reconciled to you. And through Elijah, you are teaching us that we who are, to some extent, removed from the heat of the battle must support those who are in the front lines of the battle right now. Now, we look forward to the results of the voting on Tuesday so that we may see if one, you may be judging our nation, or two, maybe you're giving us some grace to have more time to do that which we have failed to do. And we pray for our church family. Be with Ginny in Florida now. We pray you would bless our shut-ins, especially Doris. And it was so good to see her this week and find out that she turned 90 on Thursday. Happy birthday to her. We pray for uh, Cindy and, and Christine and Elin and um, others who are also confined. We pray that you would bring the healthy ones back to Sunday morning worship in person. Father, we pray for Allie and, and all of her family. We pray for Donna up in New Hampshire and her sister Dottie, and we continue to pray for Dottie's granddaughter, Andy, who's been through so much recently. We pray for Renato and, and his family. We pray for Peter, Linda, Billy, their family, especially their mother. Father, we pray for Ray and Everett, and we pray that um, Ray would be able to come more frequently now. And uh, Father, we also uh, pray for John and Pat, and we're so glad they can be with us this day. We pray for Kurt, and um, he needs to have his house painted this week, and we thank you for the good weather, but um, I know that he's going to uh, miss the song that moves him so much. Uh, We pray for for Al and Carol, that you would continue to bless them and that they may be able to make the long drive here to worship with us from time to time. And we also uh, pray for Noel and Darren and, and all that they're going through, and we thank you that you've been helping them. And now, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would please be with me and with all of us as we hear your word being explained, interpreted, and applied. And please uh, apply it so that we all live together doing that which pleases you. I think our scripture this morning shows us so, so much that no one can make it alone in your life, the life that you want us to live, no matter how much you have blessed them and how many gifts you have given them. 
And now we come together in the words of the prayer that Jesus taught us, praying with one heart and voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, before we uh, go uh, with a little deep dive into God's word, let's sing number 250, Wondrous Love. What wondrous love is this? conversation that I had with a fellow pastor something over 15 years ago. And in that conversation, he took something I said to its logical conclusion with this statement. If someone does not know Jesus... And what happens in this world in which we live does not make him depressed. 
then either he's not paying attention or there's something wrong with his thinking and with his feeling. Now, there are two important parts to what my brother brought to my attention, what he said. First, those who do not know Jesus are more likely to be depressed. But in addition, the pressures of life in this fallen world affect everyone whether people are inclined to pay attention and reflect or not. Now, another thing to keep in mind is Jesus does not always heal depression, either completely or all at once. But he does make it possible for his people to cope and to cope with the encouragement of one another. You know, sometimes people say to me, why do I have to go to church? It's God and Jesus and me. Well, no, we need each other. No one makes it alone and we can build each other up. Now, another truth to consider in our country today especially post-COVID. I have heard that up to 50%, half of the people in this country either experience some despair or depression right now. I also believe very firmly that everyone at some time in their life will go through a period of depression. For me, it happened in my junior year at WPI, and it was pretty intense, and it was even worse because I didn't know Jesus. So, um, from today's story, we learn from the prophet Elijah uh, about the dangers of spiritual warfare. I will direct you back to the story before this with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, Some of us know that story quite well. It is this. The enemy of God and God's people is a very sore loser. And he seeks to take down those who are God's most devoted and effective servants. Just prior to the story we heard read this morning, Elijah had called down fire from Israel's God. And then he destroyed all the prophets of the pagan god of thunder and rain, Baal. And then he prayed in this long drought Almost three and a half years that it affected Israel. God ended it when he sent a heavy rain, which is so ironic because this false God was supposed to be the God of rain, but the true God is the God of rain. So we just heard that when the wicked king Ahab told his more wicked wife Jezebel what had happened, she vowed to kill Elijah. And then we're told that he became aware of his, her intentions. And he went on foot, on foot, walking 70 miles south. And his exhaustion and his feeling of being alone in the midst, in the uh, midst of all of this evil, 
caused him to pray that he would die. Are we surprised? We should not be. Just like my colleague said, if we're paying attention, this can happen to anybody, even God's best. So now let's dig deeper in God's word and see how God treated his beloved prophet. So again, this is 1 Kings 19. First of all, we have Jezebel's fury and Elijah's flight. Okay, Jezebel swears to kill Elijah. Looking at the details now, then Ahab told to Jezebel all Elijah had done and that he had slain all the prophets of Baal, which means Lord. So this is now connecting all that follows with what Elijah had done on Mount Carmel, which is in the chapter before this. And we're told then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, so will the gods do to me, and more also, if at this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. It's an outright threat. She strongly swears to get revenge on Elijah by doing to him what he did to her false so-called prophets. So then we get to the action here. Elijah flees first to Beersheba and then to Mount Sinai. Then Elijah saw rose up and went on foot for his life and came to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there. So he saw, you see, as his prophet, as God's prophet, he showed Elijah what Jezebel had planned for him. God does this for his special people. And then he walked 70 miles from Mount Carmel, which was on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea on a little bump, more or less opposite the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to the southernmost town in Judah called Beersheba, the well of the sevenfold oath. And then he himself went in the wilderness a day's journey, then came and sat down under a thorn bush. That's the best way to translate it. And he asked that his soul would die. And he said, literally, too much now, Yahweh. Take my life. I am no better than my father's. Well, the southernmost part of Judah is a rocky Wilderness with at best shallow soil. So these thorn bushes, they grow up, they're all scraggly. They don't give much shade. Light can go through them, wind can go through them. At maximum, they grow to 10 feet in height. So here he is lying down under this scrawny, wretched bush. He's got very little shade, but then. Uh, Um, there's more to it than this. He's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed after participating in this miraculous victory of Yahweh God over Baal. 
Okay, people, let's not just stop here 2,700 years ago. What does this say to us and all of us alive today? Let us realize that even God's chosen servants who have been instruments of his victories can experience exhaustion and depression. No one is immune. We're told then he lay down and slept. Behold, an angel touched him. Rise up, eat. Then he looked. Behold, a disc of bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Then he ate and drank. And again, he lay down. So God sent an angel to gently waken Elijah and show him some food and water that he, God, had provided for his beloved prophet. Elijah ate, Elijah drank, and he went back to sleep. And that in itself is a blessing. Then came again the angel of Yahweh and touched him a second time. Rise up, eat, for the journey is too much for you. Then he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and nights to the mountain of God Horeb. Okay, the angel of Yahweh, the angel. Many people believe when it has the definite article in front of it, which happens many times in the Tanakh, in the Torah, in the prophets, and the writings, that this one is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, there's no absolute proof of that. I will tell you that I am one of them, but... You know, I could be wrong. We could be wrong. But the point is, this is a messenger directly from God. And he says, the journey that Elijah would take, again, get out a good Bible atlas in the back of your Bibles, 280 miles through rugged terrain with next to no food or water. It required supernatural strength. And do the simple arithmetic. It was such rugged terrain that he could only average seven miles per day. It took him 40 days and 40 nights to go those 280 miles. Now, to Mount Horev, we saw this a few weeks ago. Horev means desert, and it's equal to Mount Sinai. It had both names. Sinai means thorny. This is where Yahweh gave his people the Ten Commandments and further instructions through Moses. And as I was pulling this all together, I couldn't help but think of how Moses and Elijah would appear with Jesus on another mountain. Look at Matthew 17. Now we get to the heart. The heart of the story. We've got this depressed prophet. What does God do for him? Well, Yahweh's word to Elijah is both a question and an answer. And then we have a little appendix from the Gospel of John. And we will get to that before we finish. But he's glorified. The Son of God is glorified through his trouble on the cross. Are you starting to get the common theme? 
So first we have Elijah's despairing excuse, Yahweh's mighty wind and small whisper. So again, looking at it verse by verse, then he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged there. It means he spent the whole night there sleeping. Behold, the word of Yahweh to him. And literally he said, what to you here, Elijah? There is no verb doing, that's implied. But it's basically, what are you doing here? Well, he'd been sent there by the angel for one thing. But his, his first word to his depressed prophet is in the form of a question. But I said it with the wrong tone of voice there. I believe it was in love and compassion. He is speaking to his faithful prophet in the midst of his depression. The covenant Trinity God, Yahweh, speaks to those who are in depression. This is great hope. And then he, Elijah, goes into this long lament. I've been very zealous for Yahweh, the God of the armies, because the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Thy altars they have broken down, and thy prophets they have slain with the sword, and I, only I, remain, and they seek to take my life. I know, and I think most of us know, there's nothing worse than being lonely and feeling alone. This is a very long lament about his zeal for the true God in the midst of unfaithfulness and violence on every side. But his final complaint, I think, is really the depth of his heart. He's complaining that he is all alone. He's lonely and about to be killed. And then he, Yahweh, said, go forth, Stand on the mount before Yahweh. Now, seemingly ignoring Elijah's lament, or perhaps, I think, more likely, redirecting it, Yahweh commands his prophet to go and stand before him on Mount Horeb, as Moses had done almost 600 years before this. Behold, Yahweh passed by, and a great and powerful wind broke the stones of the mountain, but he was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but he was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but he was not in the fire. Wind, earth, fire. Now, we would expect that the awesome, all-powerful God would be in these powerful phenomena. But he was not. Not. And after the fire, a small whisper voice. Small whisper. After the noise of a stone-breaking wind and an earthquake, Yahweh speaks to his prophet quietly in a small whisper. This is unexpected. 
And here's another application for us from this story. We must all realize that while God always provides what we need, it is not always with power, but often in an understated way. Let's not miss it when his answer comes to us, quiet and not all glamorous and amazing. And Yahweh's word is a threefold plan for Elijah. Then, as Elijah heard, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, to him a voice, what do you hear, Elijah? So there's a lot going on here. Yahweh repeats the very same question that he had said to Elijah when he had laid down to rest. Now that he has come outside the cave and he's up on the top of the mountain, he repeats his question. Okay. But he does it again in love and compassion. He's still speaking to his prophet in the midst of his depression. And again, I'll say it again, it's always true. Yahweh, the great covenant Trinity God, he speaks to people in their depression. Now, Elijah, and I'm not going to repeat it again, gives the exact same long lament, word for word about his zeal in the midst of unfaithfulness and violence, again complaining he's lonely and about to be killed. His despair is repeating itself. And again, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be Elijah. I may be wrong, but he is still in his despair and depression. Maybe he's thinking Yahweh didn't hear him. These empty pyrotechnics didn't help him one bit, and God knew that. Everybody knows that. So to make his point and to try to get an answer, he repeats himself verbatim. And then Yahweh said, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Again, if you got out a Bible map, you need to do this. It's just a bunch of names otherwise. He returned 425 miles north of where he was. And this time it didn't take 40 days and 40 nights, but it was a long hike. In fact, he was some 90 miles northwest of where he started at Carmel. This was a long trek to the capital of Syria. And... Having come, anoint Hazael, which means one who is seeing God to be the king of Syria. And Yehu in Hebrew, which means Yahweh is he. Yes, he is the only one. The covenant God is everything, who is the son of Nimshi, which means rescued, and anoint him to be king of Israel. So the first thing, the covenant God does is he gives his prophet a mission to anoint two kings, a God-given purpose for his life to distract him from feeling alone and to let him know he's still God's chosen prophet and he still has work to do. 
And then Elisha, which means God is salvation. The son of Shaphat, which means judged of Abel Mechola. Well, if we knew Hebrew and I clicked on my Bible dictionary, what a name for a place. It means meadow of dancing. Now, sometimes people in depression don't need that much joy put on them, but God is giving them a clue, even in the place name, you will anoint him to be prophet in your place. So now he also gives to Elijah a protege who will eventually succeed him. So Elijah is now to mentor a companion. And all who have been given the privilege, and I've had this privilege a few times in my life, to be a mentor to someone, know that this is extremely fulfilling. So he's fulfilling a need of his prophet. And then he goes on and says, he escaping from the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And he escaping from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Imagine this, a a prophet killing enemies of God. It's right. It makes sense. This is justice. What is happening here is after Elijah does his first two tasks, God's going to get to the heart of his problem. Elijah is very upset with the apostasy and the faithlessness and, and the idolatry of the people around him. And Yahweh says he will execute justice on the idolaters through the men he commanded Elijah to anoint. And here's something to also keep in mind, because it affects each and every one of us and all of us together. God often uses people to accomplish his plans. Why? To give his people the joy of working with him and for him that his will be done. And then bottom line in our story of Elijah, this brings it all together. He says, I have left in Israel. Namely, there is a remnant. There is a remnant of um, 7,000 men. 7,000, every knee which has not bowed to Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. People, what he's saying, his last and greatest gift to his depressed prophet Elijah is that Elijah has now been told of 7,000 peers who share his devotion to God. What a pleasant surprise for Elijah. And if only we could be surprised to know that we are not that small of a minority in our world today. Overcoming depression requires mutual encouragement. So we put this all together, this last paragraph. In total, Yahweh spoke a threefold word to help Elijah deal with his depression. First of all, he gives him a purpose for his life. Secondly, a protege to mentor. And thirdly, peers to support his mission of love for his God. 
Yahweh speaks to those in depression. And this got Elijah back on his feet. Now let's go forward to our excerpt from the Gospel of John. What happens is Jesus is expressing that he knows he has a troubled soul because he must bear the sins of all people. But this troubled soul, this suffering he's about to go through will result in glory for his father. So let's take it word for word. First, we get a rhetorical question from him. He's talking to his disciples, the 11, the 12. Actually, it was before the Last Supper. Now my soul has been troubled, and what may I say? You see, Jesus faced the cross as both God and man, and his human soul was troubled. And troubled, it had been troubled for some time as the time was getting closer and closer. So he goes on, what may I say? Should I say, Father, you must save me from this hour? No, but for this reason, I have come to this hour. He will follow the eternal plan of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity from the very beginning in spite of his trepidation. And he will obey without any further questioning. And then here's the heart of his prayer. Here's the real prayer. Father, thou must glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven. I have both glorified it, past tense, and will again glorify it, future tense. So here's the father's promise. Jesus, his father, says he has been glorifying his name through his son all of Jesus' life, all the way up until now, and he will continue to glorify it. He will continue to glorify it even in the cross. So here's something else, and here's a promise we need to hold on to because so so often we just despair, okay? Let us realize that what seems to be defeat for those obeying God is always turned, always turned to God's glory in the end. And and now for us, what does it mean for us? We must realize that in obeying Jesus' command to take up our cross with him, God will also be glorified in our sufferings, even to the point of death for him. And I thought, this is no coincidence. How appropriate that God directed me to preach from this passage on the day of prayer for the voice of the martyrs. So let us all live by the truth that was taught and modeled by Jesus, that it is God's will that his people share in his son's sufferings in order to share in his glory. Philippians 3, I put it on the front of our bulletin every Sunday. Read it and think about it. And then Paul mentioned it for himself. God glorifies those willing to even die for him.
not just his son, but those who are in his son. And when it comes to this issue of suffering in Elijah, it is to be expected by everyone. Don't be surprised when it happens. So let me just sum up the story, and you've already heard the implications, but let's see it again. When Elijah sees that Jezebel swears to kill him, he flees to Mount Horeb, where he collapses in exhaustion. Then when Yahweh questions him, he declares his despair of being alone in his devotion to the covenant God. But God gives him work to do for him and declares Elijah has 7,000 like-minded men. He's not alone. We're never alone. Not only is God always with us, but we have more brothers and sisters in Christ than we realize. And let's seek them out and let's comfort one another. And Yahweh speaks to those in their depression. I think that's the heart of this story. Let us never forget that. As we prepare our hearts for communion, let's take our bulletin inserts and sing uh, Knowing You.
communion kits? And if so, then let us just turn the page on our bulletin insert and let's do our responsive reading together. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. Come, it is Christ who invites us here. Yeah. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing, so we may know your touch and presence in all things. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. And now I have to apologize. The too much sleep made me forgetful. Give me 30 seconds to run upstairs and get the prayer. pray. I found this prayer in Reformed Worship magazine two years ago, and it's ten times better than anything I could make up on my own. So let us go before the Lord. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he 
is Lord of all. And we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, this bread may be for us the body of Christ and this cup, the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the world and to you, one holy and eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give praise and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us partake and eat together of the bread and drink from the cup. There are three or four different understandings of what communion is all about. But just so you'll know, I go pretty far to the miraculous side. This is a sacrament, and I believe God in his holiness and his awesomeness does something in us as we partake in this. The bread becomes more than bread. The cup becomes more than grape juice. And in some miraculous way, we are all drawn closer to the three-in-one God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he fills us by a spirit in such a way we get drawn closer to each other. And as the prayer says, we can serve him in the world. And we've been watching that series, uh, The Chosen, on Amazon Prime. And just last week, Jesus was commissioning Peter and the rest to become fishers of men. And that's our duty as well. So I believe this sacrament enables us and empowers us to do God's will. And now let's sing for our final song, number 371, Reach Out to Jesus. Because ultimately that's what happened with Elijah when the angel of the Lord touched him in what we need as well. 371. Like you're living 
This will prepare us for next week. Uh, if you look, this song was written by Ralph Carmichael. And one of our artists at the Way Cafe well over 10 years ago, I'm pretty sure it was Mike Mungin, he said, Google this guy, so I did. And if you ever have, and you, I looked in the back, he was born in 1927. He's a well-known African-American pastor of an AME church down in Philadelphia. And I noticed this was written in 1968, which is the same year MLK was assassinated. I'm not saying there's any connection, but just perhaps there is. But you'll read some amazing things about him if you look him up. And now our benediction comes, and I alluded to it earlier, from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of the church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery that has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope, of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's true. It should be true for all of God's people. And now let's close our time of worship with the chorus number 245, We Are the Reason. <laughs>